But it is an honor to be here. I appreciate the invitation, Brother Newcomer, and, and those that made my, uh, my the arrangements, the room, staying overnight because I have uh, some things I have to do tomorrow uh, that are back in Illinois but not quite home, so I'll be going straight there tomorrow. So the room is nice, and um, thank you for the privilege to be here. How many is here to hear the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. How many would like to hear the Lord say something to you specifically tonight? Amen. I want him to have his way, don't you? And uh, if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. I, I, do, I mentioned I have twins, so obviously I have a wife, still have a wife. 34 years we've been married, and that's a wonderful thing. And uh, she had a, a convention that she had to be at tonight, so... Uh, that's why she's not here. Otherwise, uh, I preach better when she's here. So uh, just you'll have to bear with me tonight. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, very familiar passage. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Everybody say his cross. Notice Jesus did not say for us to take up the cross that he would bear. He calls us to take up our cross. Everyone has a cross. He said, you need to take up your cross. Not mine, but take up your cross. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit or lose? Everybody say lose. Lose his soul. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to draw your attention to the 35th verse. There's a couple of words that are repeated. And the re repetitious words are save and lose. Save and lose. Notice, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. I want to preach tonight this thought. Saved on the right side of losing. Saved on the right side of losing. Would you lift your hands and love the Lord tonight and ask Him to have His way? Jesus, thank You for Your blessings. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, your blood. Oh, Lord, I praise you for the privilege to preach to young people in this section. I pray that you would loose me to preach your word, God. Let me not fear nor favor. I pray, Lord, you anoint the ears of the hearers tonight. Do your work in this place and change a life. And we give you the praise for it. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm going to help that preacher preach tonight. Uh, here's something else. Before, uh, well, since you've got a mind of your own, uh, go ahead and sit down and turn to your neighbor and tell him it's only 7.22 his time. Tell your neighbor that. It's only 7.22 his time. Amen. So I, I don't have... Uh, I don't have much to say, but I may say it repeatedly. <clears throat> Isn't that good? 
Because there's some preachers that have a lot to say and don't say much at all. I have just a little to say, but I may just keep repeating it until I know you've got it. And I find really what I feel the Lord would have me to say to you tonight in verse 35 is that uh, I think it's very important that we understand here tonight that we are going to lose our life either way. Verse 35 says that if a man tries to gain his life, he will lose it. But if he loses it, and then he, he gathers the conditions behind that, he says if he loses it for my sake, he will save it. So the point of that verse is you're going to lose life either way. It all depends on how you lose it. You're not, you're not going to save your life on your own. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to save it, you will lose it. But if you lose it for me, you will in, by losing it, you will in fact save it. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, if I'm going to spend my life, there, if I'm going to spend my life or lose my life, there better be something worth spending it for. If my life is going to be spent for something, I want it to be spent for the right thing. In fact, if you're going to take an hour of my life, uh, and as you get older, you start realizing you don't have as many hours as you used to. And you start valuing those hours, and you think, you know, I'm not going to give another hour to that. I don't think I ought to waste my time with worry. I don't think I ought to spend my, another hour of my life worrying. <laughs> Somebody say amen. And, that, and, just, and once you've taken an hour of my life, just for example, if I've spent an hour of my life on something, I will never get it back. Ever. So... We are, we've got to be very careful about the hours we relinquish. In fact, as, as I'm preaching to young, a younger generation, uh, many of which feel like life is long and, and some sit here tonight and probably think the Lord's going to come before you get your driver's license or your permit or surely before you get married <laughs> and He may well do that and we're praying He does that <laughs> before some of you drive. <laughs> I'm not sure when he's coming, but I remember thinking, you know, life is long. And people that were in their 30s and 40s seemed really old back then when I was sitting in a youth rally. Uh, but as I, as I gather toward my sunset, let me say I've come to realize that life is very short. You, you don't have a lot of time. Now you begin life thinking there's plenty of time for all kind of things because you don't learn how to prioritize uh, early in life. You want to do it all. And then you realize you can't do it all. Everybody okay? 
In fact, the Bible tells us, Job says, that your days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end very quickly. The Bible tells us in the book of James that life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a moment and then it vanishes. It's like the clock is always ticking. The pages of the calendar are always turning. And so what this verse is saying, it's saying uh, you need to stop for a moment and think about what you're spending your life for because when you look back on life it's your choice on how you spend it you are going to spend it either way you've got the choice of how you're going to lose it somebody clap your hands unto the Lord right now Mr. Chrysler was a famous violinist And he was approached after a concert by a woman who had sat and listened to him play in rapture. And she said to him, I would give my life to play like you do. To which the famous violinist replied, Manab, I did. That's why I'm playing like I'm playing. is because I gave my life to playing like I played tonight. LeBron James didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll be an NBA star, the king of the court. No, you give your life to something. You give your very existence to something. And Paul said, if you're going to strive for the mastery of anything, you've got to be tempered in every area of your life because you're going for something. You're reaching for something. You're grasping for something. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an average child of God. I want to be a child that's faithful. I want to be somebody that's moving and and, and reaching. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I make the choice. And since I make the choice of how I'm going to lose my life, I know how I'm going to lose mine. I'm going to be a one God, Jesus name, apostolic, Holy Ghost filled preacher. Oh, I know. Well, what a life that is. Yeah, there were always the chances. There were always the distractions. There were always, well, I think I'll go to school and do this. Or I think if I work a little harder on this part of my game, I can do that. Or maybe I can uh, get a scholarship with this. Or maybe I can do that. But one night, God spoke to me. And in that moment, I had a choice to make. I knew I could lose it in one way or the other. But I made up my mind. I'd rather lose it around the altar than I would on the court. I'd rather lose it at the altar than I would on my retirement. So how are you going to lose it? Well, I had a young person not too long ago say, you know, I don't know if I want to serve a God. I don't know if I can serve a God that would flood the whole world and kill men and women and children and babies. And I don't know if I can serve that kind of God. I said, you know, I see where you're coming from. I understand that. But I need to remind you of just a few things before you finally make this decision about how horrible God is. 
that he made up his mind he was going to destroy man from off the face of the earth. But Noah found grace. One man found grace. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he built an ark for 120 years. The Bible also tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. The Bible tells us every day he preached. That means for 120 years he preached the same sermon every day. And I said, now since you're such a whiz kid, get your phone out and let's do a little calculation. Let's calculate 360 because I didn't want him coming back fighting about the Jewish calendar or the Gregorian calendar. Because I knew I had a fighter on my hands. I said, let's do 360 times 120. And let's see what you get. And so he, he does the calculations and he's amazed. And I'm saying, you know all those people that you know were floating around the ark? That's how many sermons they sat through. That's how many altar calls they said no to. Oh, you're not hearing me. But I want to tell you, they may have got bored with the message, but the message was right. It's fixing to rain. Come on now. Oh, I know. Oh, he he kind of bristled a little. You know, I never thought of that. I said, no, you never thought of that, did you? And I said something else you haven't thought about. Is it wasn't hard to not drown. I mean, now you got all these churches and these spices and flavors and Baskin Robbins and one church you shake a hand and one church you recite a prayer and another church you get sprinkled and another one you get in a tank and another one you pray till you speak in tongues and, and you get all kind of flavors. Now people could get really confused, but back then there was only one message. It wasn't hard. Just get yourself on the boat. Come on. What? How difficult? What kind of choice are you not making? I asked him, I said, how hard is it to get on a boat? Well, it's not hard. No. And 40 something thousand sermons that say, just get your carcass on the boat. I don't want to. I got better things to do. Sure, you do. You know what you got better to do? Lose your life. Wait a minute. Because somebody would say Noah was wasting his life. No. No. I'm convinced. He was saved on the right side of losing. See, Noah lost his life building a boat. But when he got done building the boat, he got saved after he lost his life. Noah, you're wasting your time. Oh, no, I don't think so. I think this is the best thing I can be doing right now. Being faithful. Doing what God asked me to do. Going to church. Being in the prayer room. I want to be saved on the right side. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Yeah, everybody else was gaining life. Listen to what I'm saying. Get on the boat, folks. Well, 
I got groceries to pick up. My boy's got a soccer game. I'll check out the sermon next week. I'm going to study and I'm going to pray and I may get another word for you. You know what it's going to be? It's fixing to rain. Get on the boat. Folks, I got a text today. It's about to rain. Get on the boat. And every day, Noah preached the same sermon. How distracted can an individual be? That when all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened. I just know what happened. I don't know how. So we're, we can take a few liberties here, I guess. I do know that two orangutans, Mr. and Mrs. Key point there. Key point there. And must I, I must say this to this generation. I must chase this rabbit for a second. If you have problems with, with a man marrying a woman and having kids, you need to understand why you're on this earth. You do, wait, you do realize that the reason people are here is to redeem the earth. Read it in the book of Genesis. We are, there was a problem with the earth. And God said, I want it back. So he put you and me here to get it back. He told Adam, I want you to subdue what? The earth. The earth was the problem. It was without form and void. And God said, I need somebody that's going to take back what I lost. That's what we're here for. And you know how we do that? He told us, be fruitful and multiply. Your kids are supposed to spread around this world with the truth. And they're supposed to take back. Well, not much subduing if Mr. and Mr. Because the command to subdue had to do not with just faith, but works. So twins are a good thing. It means there's a lineage that's going to speak to a generation beyond his time. It means the truth is going to endure to the next generation. You see, we think that's something God does. No, that's something we do. That's why the Lord said, bind these about your children. Talk about it when you're in the road. Talk about it when you're in the country. Talk about it when you're in the city. Bind these commands about your neck. Teach them diligently to thy children. Young people, how does the truth endure? By you passing it on to the next generation. So back to Mr. and Mrs. since I straightened all that out. All of a sudden, all the other orangutans are doing in the altar call what all the people are doing. They're playing around, going to the bathroom, checking their latest Twitter feed. But there's two orangutans that feel the altar call. And they're headed to the ark. And two ticks 
and two ladybugs and two dogs and two cats. And if I'm anywhere close to there and I start seeing, I start wondering, how cold am I? Why am I not feeling what the ticks are feeling? See, this is what happens in a church service. The Bible says that all the world is groaning for redemption. This world is in convulsions, waiting to be redeemed. And if you don't sit in a service and feel your soul go into that convulsion, something is wrong with you. I don't want to sit in a service and clap and worship and do my little dance and not feel the urge to say, Lord, I choose to lose my life so that I might find it. Oh, come on, let's praise the Lord right now. Come on, come on. He's six hundred years old when God asked him to build that boat he lost his years he lost his health he lost his energy for the vehicle that would save his household saved on the right side of losing see there are some young folks who are going to lose their life By trying to save it. They're going to try to live it up. I know young folks that will try to live it up for all kind of things. But I know other students that are going to lose their life around an altar. You'll never see their name in the magazine. It may never appear on a website. But they're going to be faithful this Sunday in their Sunday school class. And they're going to see some of their students baptized in Jesus' name. Or they're going to be in the choir. They're going to be at practice. And when it's time to lead the congregation in worship, their, their voice is going to be lifted. Oh, could I be doing something better? No, I'm losing my life on the right side of saving. When it's only, when it's all said and done, the man on drugs, the man on drugs tonight who's driving these streets looking for another bag of something, the man on drugs tonight and the girl in the choir that sang tonight, they're all going to lose their lives for something. It's the purpose for which they lose it that matters. Now, only you, by God's grace, can save your soul. And only you can lose your soul. In fact, think about the purpose for which you exist. Think about why you're here tonight. Reminds me of a story I heard of a man by the name of Sam Maverick. That last name may conjure up some images. Maverick. See, back in the day when it was free range and there were not many fences and animals were free ranged, everybody had a certain brand. And instead of fencing in their cattle or their horses, they would brand their livestock. Didn't need fences. You run across a cow, you see a brand, you know whose it is. But Sam Maverick wasn't that way. 
he didn't like branding his animals. So when you found an animal that didn't have a brand, everybody started saying, well, that's Mavericks. Hence, the word that conjures up the idea of someone that cannot be tamed. He's a maverick. It really was a real issue. Because when a rancher would come across an unbranded animal, they would say, well, that's old Sam Maverick's got to be. He's the only one that doesn't brand his cows. Well, you know what started happening? <laughs> yeah. When they'd find an unbranded animal, nobody was looking. They'd say, well, this one was Sam's. It's fixing to be mine. And somebody would put their brand on it. You cannot go through life unbranded. Something is going to brand you. And you can let a corporation brand you. You can let money brand you. You can let pleasure brand you. Or you can let God brand you. You can say, Lord, I'm you. Why is it? Why is it that we waste time chasing things that God says we'll never catch? Think about it. King Saul. He was upset. David was anointed. The kingdom was slipping out of Saul's fingers. And Saul said, the best thing I can do. Listen, I don't know why Saul didn't have a revival. I didn't know why Saul didn't hit his knees and say, Lord, forgive me. Anybody here? David killed a man and took the man's wife. And the moment Nathan said, you're the guy I'm talking about, David said, I have sinned. And the moment he said that, Nathan said, and God has put away your sin. He loves mercy. He does not delight in iniquity. Now why is Saul chasing David? Instead of going to the prayer room, he is chasing a man that God is not going to let him catch. So he spent the last 18 years of his life chasing something that he was never going to catch. Peace fun, pleasure these are words by which you need to understand God is not going to let you catch something that is going to damn your soul oh, in him there's pleasure forevermore in him there's peace that passes understanding in him there's joy unspeakable you are Oh, come on, let's worship the Lord right now. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, it's time to chase something you can catch. Oh, reach out to the Lord right now. Come on, reach your hands up. God would have helped him destroy the Hittites. God would have helped him destroy the Philistines. But no, he wanted to destroy David. And God was just not going to let that happen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God is an eternal word. It will not change because you don't like it. 
Seek first the kingdom and all these other things shall be added. Now when God sees you chasing after things, He's not going to let you of all the billions of people that have walked across the stage of time, He's not going to let you finally make Him a liar. His word is going to stand when everything else is failing. So the spiritual axiom is chase the kingdom and all this other stuff will find you. Lose your life for the kingdom and you'll find it. Give your life to Jesus and you'll find more life than you can even handle. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? No. He wanted to destroy David. You can be seated. They're just coming to the music to give you hope. Jeremy Bentham, very, very wealthy English man, ran major corporations, very successful businessman. Found out at a young age he was terminally ill. He just came up with a plan that he would leave his entire life's fortune to any hospital if they met one condition. At his passing, he would be cremated. And whatever hospital agreed to the next few requirements would get his entire life's fortune. Needless to say, there were a lot of hospitals interested. But Jeremy Bentham had a few odd requests. His body would be cremated, and his ashes in the urn would be taken to the hospital's monthly board of directors meeting every month. It was a requirement that Jeremy Bentham's ashes would be on the table of every board of directors meeting of said hospital. Another requirement was that into the minutes must be this statement. When, it's, when the role of those in attending is called, the minutes must also read, Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. He's present in ash form, but he's not voting. What's Jeremy trying to find? He's trying to find immortality. He's trying to live on. The worst tragedy is to be alive and not count. It's worse than being dead and not counting. It's being alive and not counting. Not counting for anything. Count me into the kingdom, God. I can't tell you how many times I came to the altar with my five loaves and my two fishes. And I said, as Andrew said, what are these among so many? But I'm telling you, what you put in the master's hands is never going to return the same way you gave it. (laughs) 
And you may say, what can I do? I must worry about my future. I must go for something. Oh no, God can do more with your life than you can ever do with your own. So for what purpose are we dying? What am I spending my energies on? What's draining the life out of me? What am I spending energy on and losing my life for? There's something better than chasing fleas and dogs. And David said, am I a dog that you should waste another day, Saul, and and chase me? Why are you exhausting yourself? I'm not worthy of that effort. So I know what I'm going to sweat over. I'm going to sweat over another sermon. I'm going to sweat over another revival. I'm going to sweat over another Bible study. Oh, I used to sweat over lesser things, but I've got a desire to baptize somebody this Sunday. I want somebody to come to church with me. I want to help my pastor. I want to help my student pastor. I want to help some young couple in the church. Oh, come on, let's reach out unto the Lord right now. Come on. Why is it that people can lose their life? Lose their life over so little. There are a lot of people in the Bible with misplaced values. Esau sold his life's blessing for one meal. One meal. You say, man, what a dummy. But you know what? There's 19-year-olds in this room selling out for just as much. There's young people, students in this room right now that are selling out giftings and blessings and eternal life for a bowl of soup. Aching, misplaced, Misplaced values. You talk about misplaced values. Aching in a time of great victory. While the church is shouting and dancing. While the walls are falling. He's looking for loot. He's looking for another way to make a buck. The Bible's full of them. The rich man Jesus reminded us of. He was never concerned about eternity nor his brothers until he was lost. Saved on the right side of losing. No, you lost it because you tried to save it. See it. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus just just moves the words if you save your life you lose it but if you lose it for me and the kingdom you'll save it I won't save to be on the right side of losing it's been four years ago now I told you about sweating over a sermon I was celebrating my 30th wedding anniversary and me and my wife went over to Europe and my dad was a retired oil man. My dad, he's a retired man of God too. I guess retired in the sense of 
he retired from his spiritual commitment. When I was two years old, Brother Jordan, he walked out of his, the church he pastored. His wife and his two kids left his house, left his wife, left his kids. Went in the Marines, was a door gunner from 1965 to 69 in the Vietnam conflict. You do the study, the door gunner in a, in the, in a Huey helicopter in Vietnam, the lifespan was 15 minutes. My dad served four years and made it home. Was an alcoholic till the day he died. My greatest prayer as a child, Lord, bring my dad back to the altar. Fill him with the Holy Ghost. He's your child. He's been filled with your spirit, baptized in your name. It's my greatest prayer. I knew it would happen. I just didn't know when. My daughter was, one of my daughters graduating college. It was going to be a great weekend. He said, well, I'll come up and go to the graduation. I said, that's great. He'd never even been in a service where his son had preached. I was 50 years old. My dad had never heard me preach. My wife on Saturday after the graduation party said, Pops, are you going to stay for service tomorrow? And he said, well, I don't know. I might. That's the first time he ever said he might. Sure enough, on Sunday morning, he said, I think I'll go to church today and then I'll drive home to Louisiana. I went to the church early. I was praying. My dad was going to be sitting in that service that day, and I thought, you know, God, I need a word from you. So I prayed and sought God and get some notes together, and I'd erase them and start over and find another verse. And all of a sudden, the, the Holy Ghost said, what are you doing? I said, well, my... My backslidden dad who's been away from God for about 48 years. Lord, he's going to be here today. I, I need you to move today. And all of a sudden the Holy Ghost said, somebody's dad is there every Sunday. I said, what? He said, somebody's father and mother is sitting in that audience every Sunday. One service can't be wasted. I don't think it's okay for me to go on some website and download some three-point outline and walk up here and say it's food that I baked for you. I'm sorry. If I'm going to spend my life, I'm going to spend it preaching just like I spent it at the free throw line. I'm going to keep working on it. I'm, I... No, you say, well, why do I need to go to the prayer room? You need to go to the prayer room like you go to the three-point line. You just need to keep working on it. Because oh. I'm going to spend my life for something that matters. My dad retired. He said, Calvin, if anything ever happens to me, there's a little red envelope in the file cabinet. Has all my information in it. He was telling me how much he spent the last 15 years of his life in Syria building compressor stations for Conoco, making loads of money. I was flying out to Europe back to my story, 30-year anniversary. I called him. How you doing now? I'm doing all right. Everything's good. It's October. Doing all right. Late September. Doing all right. Okay, well, I'm going to be gone for about two weeks. 
Two weeks passed. I landed in LaGuardia. As soon as I got signaled, checked on my daughters, I called my dad. He picked up the phone. Sounded like he'd had a stroke. He was just mumbling. Dad, you all right? What's the matter? Oh, I'm fine. I've been to the post office, been, been down to the cleaners, went to the grocery store. I said, something's not right. You, you sound like you're sick. Sound like you hadn't had a stroke or something, have you? No, I'm fine. All of a sudden, he dropped the phone, and I heard it clatter to the floor, and then the phone went dead. And for two days, I called it. He didn't have a house phone. For two days, I called that cell phone, and it just goes straight to his voicemail. My sister and her husband pastor in Louisiana, and I called my sister. I said, hey, I can't get a hold of Dad, and, and uh, it's been two days now. It was Sunday. That was on a Friday. This was Sunday. I said, uh, maybe if you can slip up there tomorrow and go check on him. She said, okay, I'll go first thing in the morning. So on Monday morning, my sister calls me, and I think, well, she's gotten up there, and he lived in a little condo. She called me and said, Calvin, I got bad news. So what's up? She said, well, the little maids that clean Dad's condo every two weeks, if he didn't happen to be there, they had a key. So they knocked on the door. Nobody answered, and they opened the door, and they found Dad dead on the kitchen floor. I jumped in my truck. I drove 11 hours to Bossier City. I walked in that condo. They had removed his body. He had hemorrhaged all over that condo. There were nine, count them. I found out later, Brother Jordan, from Tuesday until that Friday, or Friday night, which is the night I talked to him, the coroner said he died probably hours after, a few hours after that. From Tuesday for four days, Four days earlier, he'd made his last transaction at the liquor store. And there were nine, count them, nine empty liters of J&B Scotch whiskey on the counter. He had went through nine liters of whiskey in four days. Yeah. There were signs that he had gone to the window where the, the slats were. And he, you could see where his hands had tried to open the slats to get somebody's attention. I said, God, nobody wants their daddy to die like this. Nobody. Why, why couldn't I be here? And, and all these things start going through my mind. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me. And I walked into that kitchen and the Holy Ghost stood me straight up. And said, I want you to look at the gods your dad worshipped. There they are standing on the counter. But in his crucial hour, when he needed somebody to listen, his idol couldn't help him. The bottle couldn't move. It was sitting right where he sat it. And although he worshipped it wholeheartedly, when it came time, he needed an answer. His God could not answer him. I said, oh God, I don't want my, my dad shouldn't have been alone. I should have been here. I started feeling guilty. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost said, he was not alone. I said, what? The Lord said, I was here. I said, all right, Lord, that's all I need to know. Because when you and a prodigal get together, I know what happens in that moment. I don't need any other explanation. I don't need it. All I know is 
that's standing in that kitchen. I brought my twin daughters, my, my, my sister's two boys, and I stood them in that room and my sister and her husband, and I said, I want you to see the God your granddad, my dad, worshipped, and that God could not hear him in the crucial hour of his life. And he wasted his money and he wasted his health on something that was killing him. You better make up your mind tonight, teenager, that you're going to get saved on the right side of losing. Because if you leave here and say, oh no, I don't have time for church. I don't have time for God. I've got to get life now while I can get it. You're going to lose something. Samson died 40 years, died at 40 years of age. He was bare. He was barely out of the conquer age group. We just would have had to vote him out as our youth president. Samson died when he turned 40. There are four chapters in the Bible related to him. 96 verses, two riddles, three names, two times he prayed, five victories. And at 40 years old, he prayed his second and last prayer. He prayed twice in 40 years. And neither one of those prayers did he invest for revival or the salvation of his people. Every time he prayed, it was for himself. Samson always preferred the parade. The concluding part of his life is that he brought a pagan temple down, destroying himself with the enemy. But he died 70 or 80 years too soon. He squandered 40 years of his life and left too early, praying only two prayers. Young person, you can let your body be the house in the temple of the Holy Ghost. Or you can let your body be the house of pornography, sexual conquest. You got a choice tonight. You can be a temple. You, uh, I know what I would say at home, but they understand me, so I'm not going to say it. You can be a temple of God or you can be a temple of pleasure. I want to tell you, you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover or you can smoke crack until your fingers turn yellow. You can pray in the prayer meeting or you can go to the ball game and cheer on Sunday. You got a choice. But one thing's for sure, when prayer time's over, you may think everybody going to the prayer room's wasting 30 minutes. No. In fact... While you were combing your hair in the bathroom and texting your little chick. And there in the prayer room, when 30 minutes is over, you both lost 30 minutes. They lost it praying. You lost it combing your hair and texting your girl. Now who wasted their time? No, I'm not going to waste another moment. My time's going to be invested in the kingdom. There's a walk with God that's overwhelming at times, but it is overpowering. I want to live and die in the house of God. Come on, lift your hands and love Jesus right now. And I'm closing. Before we open the altar, listen to me, listen to me, look real close. 
9.06. It's not too late. Listen. When, when God commanded Israel to build a house of habitation. Remember that? Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. We don't have time to go into all that. But in that holy of holies was where the mercy seat was. It's where the blood was splattered once a year. It's where sin was taken care of. And under that mercy seat, inside of that ark, were three historical pieces of evidence. There was the Ten Commandments, the tables of stone. There was Aaron's rod that miraculously budded and just kept on budding. And there was a golden pot filled with manna. Remember that? Okay, yeah. Now we got all that straight. And that's the way it was. 470 years later, 470 years later, the Philistines have the ark and they take the top off of it. What do they get out of there? The Bible tells us when it gets back to the men of Bethshemesh and they take the lid off, there's only one thing left in it. And that's the tables of stone. Aaron's almond tree that was budding was gone and the pot of manna was gone. Now, help me out now. You don't take an old dead stick out of an ark just because you like old dead sticks. No, that almond rod was still budding. They wanted the miracle power. You don't take a golden pot of manna that is just full of dust. Or at worst, it was like it was in Israel when you let it set for one day. It got wormy. You don't take wormy manna. No, this stuff was still as miraculous as it was the day they put it in there. The Philistines would not want to sample it. What does that mean? Listen, student. God said one day in your house, the bread of heaven breeds worms. If you spend all this preaching for yourself and you spend all this blessing for yourself, it's going to go sour on you in 24 hours. But you take your pot of manna. You take the bread that's been given to you. And you put it in the house of God. 470 years later. It's just as real. Come on young people. You talk about wasting your life. Oh, come on, right now the altar's open. Come on, they're getting ready to sing. Anybody want to put the pot of manna in the house of God? Anybody want to come and say, Lord, my life is yours? Tonight, Lord. My life is yours, Lord. Come on, some young man needs to readjust his priorities tonight. Come on. In your house, it breeds worms. 
Come on, under your roof, it breeds worms. Come on, with your agenda, it breeds worms. Come on, but put it in the house of God. Put it under the altar, and it'll last.